got to hear the words of the prophets. The end is near. You laughing. They laughed at the prophets too, you know. They were right. Yeah. Quite a deal. How about that? Have you read Zephaniah? It sounds like that. Oh, my goodness. Let's take a look at the first, right, the opening lines of Zephaniah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away humans and animals. I'll sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. I'll make the wicked stumble. I'll cut off humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Aren't you glad you came? I mean, this prophecy doesn't get any worse than this. It's over the top. Of course, this literally never happened. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that might be. I mean, is God exaggerating? Did he change his mind? What we can say is God was so fed up with these people that he seriously considered starting over. Now, to understand Zephaniah, to really get it, we're going to have to look at the context. Uh, let's, let's start with just a, a timeline. We've been looking at, we've been in the middle of a series now, going through the, the minor prophets, trying to see what they each had to say. During the period of decline in both uh, Israel and Judah. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Today we're, we're going to zero in on Zephaniah. And as you can see, he occurs right in this gap. He's a prophet to Judah. And it's between when the, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria and the southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon. So he's right in this middle time frame. Now, of course, each of the prophets is a little bit unique. They have some, uh, but they have some commonalities. Over and over, we hear the same list of issues, and Beth talked about some of those. The biggies, of course, are idolatry, dishonoring God, ignoring God, ignoring their covenant. There were periods of time when the temple was actually shut. There's nothing going on there. They just closed the doors. Uh but the short version, of course, is that the kingdoms of Israel and Judah were not living as God's children. They forgot who they were. They forgot who their God was. They forgot how important they were to God's mission on the earth. And so now Zephaniah shares a lot of those threads, if you read, read through the book. But he also has some very unique elements. And in part due to his timing in history. So we're going to spend a lot of time looking at the context of Zephaniah because that, that'll make more sense out of his book in particular and the message that he has for us today. All right, let's look at Ze Zephaniah's context a little bit. Uh, this opening verse, right from the get-go, who, who is Zephaniah and, and when is he talking? The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, 
son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah. So this narrows the, the range down quite a bit. Um, the, the, the question, of course, then, is who is King Josiah? And what's the big deal with him? When did he reign, and why is it important? Now, this is crucial. Josiah's timing and Zephaniah's timing are really important. Let's look at this chart. I've tried to list a few of the major uh, uh, milestones in their history. Way back in 957 B.C., Solomon had built the temple, and then after that, Solomon kind of went south. Okay, he just he started messing around with the wrong things. I suppose if you have a hundred wives, things are going to go wrong. So <laughs> we're not going to go there today. All right. But in 930, after his son took over, the kingdom had just had the the the, the northern kingdom just split off, and the ten the ten northern tribes we call Israel, the southern two tribes were called Judah. Or Judea, and over the next 210 years, the southern kingdom, Judea, had a dozen kings. Six of them were bad. I mean, everything about them, they were evil in the sight of the Lord. Four of them were called good, and two of them started good and turned bad. So this is, it's not a good track record. And then at, uh, near the end of that time, just before Hezekiah became king, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by Assyria. And, and the, 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 their capital was Nineveh. And I have a date range there because um, uh, it, the, the destruction happened in stages. 720 B.C., Hezekiah becomes king. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if the northern kingdom gets wiped out, you might wake up a little bit. He started some pretty serious reforms. Um, and uh, he also had a couple hundred years of prophetic warnings behind. And clearly, they were becoming, they're coming true because Israel got wiped out. So uh, Hezekiah did a lot. He, he, he did a lot of reforms. He kind of held off Assyria. Uh, kept them from taking over the southern kingdom as well. Um, the problem is that his son Manasseh didn't catch on. Manasseh launched the greatest pagan agenda in the history of the country. Uh, we don't know exactly why, but it, he was. It turned the, the the Bible says he was worse than the pagan nations around them and the ones that they had driven out. I mean, talk about stupid. I mean, this guy did not know what his job was. And he even worshipped, he brought in the worship of Molech, which is about as bad as you can get. And that's just something that God said was completely inconceivable. Uh, it was totally revolting to God. This is the mess that Josiah inherits, all right? Now, now, Manasseh's son, Manasseh actually had a son named Ammon, but he only lasted two years. His own, his own officials took him out. He's like, and, and they put Josiah on the throne. Now, so uh, understand, all of this, I mean, <laughs> uh, Manasseh 
was king for 50 years, setting up idols all over the country, closing the temple, putting idols in the courtyard. I mean, it, was, it was horrible. And then at the same time, the, the, the nation of Babylon is growing in strength, and Babylon and Assyria are fighting over who's going to get to take over the rest of the planet. And then you saw, uh, and, and Babylon, near the end of Josiah's reign, Babylon destroys Nineveh. So we have this internal decline going on. We have the external threats going on. And this is, Je this is Zephaniah's world. This is, and God's furious. You know, you were supposed to be a blessing to the world, a light to the nations, but you're a curse. And God is just beside himself in pain and anger, and that's why he speaks out so strongly. Now, let's look at one more way. I've got a little graph here. This is kind of interesting. Along the bottom, you'll see a, a date line, starting with back just before Solomon and going all the way up to the destruction or Babylon destroys. And, and what I want you to see is each of those dots in the graph is a king that when they started their reign, or and a couple of the dots are when the king went bad, one of the good kings that went bad, that's another. So you can kind of see this gradual decline over time. And then near the end, it, it, it gets exaggerated with Hezekiah's reform, Manasseh's horrible reign, and then actually Josiah pulls off another uh, restoration, which we'll look at pretty closely. But... And, and, and frankly, you know, the, the up and down is pretty subjective. I made that up, okay? <laughs> but, but I think it kind of reflects the, the, the general decline of the country. But I want to focus for just a bit on Hezekiah, Manasseh, and Josiah. Hezekiah's reforms were absolutely phenomenal. He did a lot of work to recover what had been lost. Manasseh undid all of that and went further down the dark road than anybody had ever imagined. It's hard to appreciate how bad this mess really was that Josiah inherited. And yet, miraculously, somehow, he pulled off some of the most amazing reforms in the history of the nation. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't last either. The, the kings that came after him were terrible. Uh, and, and that's is the reason for the extreme language in Zephaniah. But just to give you, I mean, I, I really want to emphasize how bad this was when Josiah came to the throne. Let's look at what the um, historians in 2 Kings said about Manasseh. Uh, <clears throat> the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because King Manasseh of Judah has committed these abominations and has done things more wicked than all the Amorites who were before him did and has caused Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, says the Lord, the God of Israel, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such evil that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish wiping it and turning it upside down. I will cast off the remnant of my heritage and give them into the land hand of their enemies. 
They shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they've done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their ancestors came out of Egypt even to this day. Okay, that's not good. And it sounds a lot like the opening lines of Zephaniah. You know, I've, I've had it with you people. And, he, and God never turned back from this pronouncement. This Manasseh had crossed a line, and we're not coming back, all right? But this, Zephaniah echoes some of this. If we look at the next, uh, the, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The warrior cries aloud there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So when he says the great day of the Lord is near, he's not kidding because Babylon was knocking at the door and it was just a matter of uh, just a, a few years after Josiah died that Babylon came in and took over. So we have this massive world power threatening from the outside, this horrible destruction from the inside, decline. And now, Josiah, now that you're eight years old, you get to be king. Happy birthday. So how in the world did Josiah turn this around and launch a massive reformation? Well, I think Zephaniah might have had something to do with that. And that's why we're here, all right, in this book. There's some clues, and I think the most incredible one is, is, comes right in chapter 2. After Zephaniah had pronounced all of these dire, dire pronouncements in chapter 1, the Lord opens up a possibility. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord's wrath. Now, this word seek shows up three times, and this is pivotal. pivotal. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. These were all things that were missing from the nation, and God is actually inviting them back. As, as dire as it is, as, as much as they have crossed the line, he still wants his people back. What a God. Now, seek, seek, and seek. Notice what happens in the life of Josiah. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a boy, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem. You see what happened here? This entire restoration began with seeking the Lord. Kind of reminds me of when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else follows from that. Okay? And of course, the opposite is true. And we saw that with Israel and Judah both. You ignore God, and everything evil follows from that. 
you seek God and restoration and good follows. So let's take a quick look at Josiah's reign. Um, it's interesting how this progressed. At eight, he's eight years old when they made him king because they, they killed his father. At 15, he begins to seek, seek God. And I think in part due to hearing things from Zephaniah. By 19, he starts these reforms, purging idols from the land. In fact, he personally oversaw, if you read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, he personally oversaw, the, he would show up someplace where there was idols and they make sure they got torn down. He, he, he supervised the thing. But here's the shocker. It wasn't until he was 25 that he started re renovating the temple. And there's a, there's a lot of drama around here. When they were, so the temple by this time is 300 some years old, and so it needs a little bit of work. And it's been shut down a lot of that time. But while they were rummaging around in there and, and cleaning out rooms and whatnot, they find this scroll with a lot of dust on it, and they brush it off, and it looks pretty important, and they bring it to Josiah, and they start reading it. It's the Torah, it's the first five books of the Bible. And they've been missing for decades. I mean, that's, they've really gone a long way down. And when Josiah heard these words, he, he wept and he ripped his robe. And it's like, this is horrible. And he'd already been doing reforms. But I have a really weird question. How did Josiah get all this done even before they knew about the Torah? I mean, he was really seeking God. So, and the other thing, Jeremiah, who was also a contemporary here, Jeremiah didn't start his ministry until Josiah was 20 years old. So there's a lot that Josiah was doing long before they opened up the temple and found out what's going on. See, but what he did have, I'm, I'm sure that he got a great education uh, they told him about all the kings that had been before him, his great-grandfather Hezekiah and how he had done reforms, and his grandfather Manasseh that messed everything up. And uh, they probably still remembered a lot of the psalms, you know, the songs that they sang. Some, he might have learned some of those. Uh, but then there's Zephaniah, and Zephaniah says, Seek, seek, seek. All of these pronouncements against Manasseh, there, there's something else going on here. God still wants to do something else. Seek the Lord. And it culminates in what we now know as the greatest celebration of Passover in the history of the nation. Um, and, and, and this is pivotal. Again, this is so central. We, we, because, because we didn't all grow up Jewish, we don't quite get how important Passover was to them. But let's look at this next text. Uh, and this is uh, 2 Kings uh, re, re, relating uh, what Josiah did at this time. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to Adonai your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant, that book they just read. 
For no Passover like this had been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel or in all of the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. It was over the top. In fact, if you read 2 Kings, this, the, the describing what they did to get ready for this celebration and what they did on that day takes up almost a whole chapter. And they don't do that much in 2 Kings. Most of it is just little notes about, well, this king lived this long and this one lived this long. When they get to Josiah's celebration, they, they spill a lot of ink. Why? Because the Passover is absolutely central to who they are as a people. Everything else, all of Judaism revolves around their, their escape from Egypt, their rescue from Egypt. That's how they became, formed a people and became a nation. Um, and every year they celebrate Passover to remember their rescue. And this is so important at this point in history because now they're being threatened by Babylon. And they need to be rescued from that. I think Josiah understood that this was an iconic moment in the history of the nation. And he said, we're all going to turn. We're going to follow God. And it literally changed the direction of the, of the nation. Now, the, the historians in Second Chronicles reflecting on this, um, had some things to say about um, what Josiah did. And the first words come right from God. Again, they're quoting some, some uh, prophets. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you've humbled yourself before me and torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. I will gather you to your ancestors and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. That was God's gift to Josiah. Babylon would have been there sooner if it hadn't been for him. This is a Josiah moment. He saved an entire generation from destruction. And to top it all off, this, the, the, the historians summarize it this way. Uh, as they look at his reign, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, and all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Does that sound familiar? All your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's right out of the Torah. That's what we call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your soul and strength and might. See, Josiah's total devotion, seeking God, saved an entire generation. It matters. Seeking God matters. And God preserved a remnant. Let's look at the next thing here. Actually, another message in Zephaniah, 
It shows up several times. There's these hints of a remnant that's going to survive. You know, I started out saying I'm going to annihilate the whole human race. But then, well, well, wait a minute. I need some people here. All right. Seek the Lord. All you humble of the land who do his command, seek the righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of the Lord's wrath. You hear the, 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 the hint there of survivors. The remnant of my people shall plunder them. The survivors of my nation shall possess them, saying it's going to even turn the other way. For I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. So here's Zephaniah's moving away from total destruction to, you know, I, 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 need, I need to preserve a remnant that, that, that gets it, that will seek me, that will love me. I think this changes how we understand God's judgment here. What he's really do is a purifying process. This isn't just condemnation. And this is important. Even if he, what he's really doing is purifying his people. And even if it takes 70 years in Babylon, we're going to get idolatry out of these people. And it worked. It actually worked. When they came back from Babylon, idolatry was never a problem in Israel again, ever. It, it, it cured them. See, we don't just seek God because we're supposed to, but because of what follows from seeking. We seek him because that's what leads to a meaningful life. Because that's what we're designed for. And because God has an incredible future planned for us. In fact, we even get to be part of overturning evil with good. It's the best deal on the planet. And it gets even better. Near the, at the very end of Zephaniah's book, uh, Prophecy, he, he turns to a messianic hope. This is beautiful stuff. At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them, all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. You shall no longer be haughty on my holy mountain, for I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong, utter no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. They will pasture and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. This is a messianic promise. And it probably sees uh, all kinds of levels here. There's... Part of, part of what the, the prophet has in mind is the return from Babylon and rebuilding the nation. Part of it, they, he also looks forward to the coming of Jesus, the great shepherd, so that they can pasture and lie down at, in peace. And then he, there's probably glimpses of the future kingdom that we haven't even seen yet. But, I, but notice how far Zephaniah has come. He started out with, I'm going to wipe humanity from the face of the earth to, I'm going to purify a holy people who can live in peace. You know, he went from total disgust and anger to a plea for seeking to, I'm going to create a future so glorious. You will know I am God. 
it almost sounds, I, I, as I read this, it, it dawned on, this almost sounds like a psalm of lament from God. If you read the Psalms of Lament in the Psalms, the, 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 the prayer holds two opposite things in there at the same time, very, all, very commonly. Like, I am, I'm, I'm miserable, I'm destitute, everything's bad, but I trust the Lord, he's good, he's, he's going to rescue me. And they do this all the time in Psalms of Lament. And here God is saying, I really ought to just wipe it out and start over. But I love you people. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn this into something so glorious. You, you, you'll, you won't believe it. It's like a psalm of lament from God. Crying for his people. And that's his real intent, to have a people for himself. And so we see here that God's justice and mercy are both about purifying. We tend to think of God's justice and mercy as like opposed to each other. I think they're two sides of the same coin. He's pleading with Israel and chastising them, but that's the same goal. Could I see the next slide, please? It's the same goal in mind. Okay, he wants people to devote their lives to him and his kingdom, he calls them and, and pleads with them. When necessary, he will do some serious pruning. But the end goal is always to have a children that live like children of God. Now, what does this all have to say about us today? I think there's a lot of similarities, frankly, between the time we live in right now and the time that Josiah lived in. Both cultures are hedonistic, self-seeking, self-serving, anti-God. I don't know if you've noticed, but Western civilization's falling apart. We've watched the erosion of the Christian world over time. Uh, Christendom has collapsed. It's gone. Um, there's a, a rise in evil in the surrounding culture. Now, we don't like to talk about this. We don't want to hear about this. You can blame Zephaniah. I'd get off the hook that way. Uh, but Christendom is over. And if you remember uh, when Aaron McCarter was here and gave a presentation, it's phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, Maryville Vineyard. Um, but the gods of Canaan are back, quite frankly. Ashtaroth and Baal and Molech, uh, they're, they're running amok in our country. We like to think we don't have graven images, you know. Well, you know, there's nothing. I don't have an idol in my backyard or my living room. But idolatry is really commonplace. In fact, our culture is idolatrous. There's a lot of ways that, that people push God out of their life. And the worst case, I mean, all you have to do is look at Hollywood, the politics, the media, 
even our education system, uh, the worship of affluence, self-reliance, my gut is my God, whatever I feel, whatever I want, that's okay. I don't have to listen to reason or facts or moral truth. If I feel it, it's okay for me. I think we might be living in a Josiah moment. But there's a good side right here. With the Josiah context comes the possibility of a Josiah moment, right? In fact, we've been witnessing this the last 30 or 40 years. Along with the decline of culture, we've seen a rise in the light, a rise in, the, in the, what God is doing in our world. It's fantastic. There's been truly uh, an ex, uh, uh, ministries that now teach relationship and grace instead of legalism. We've also seen a renewed emphasis on growing up spiritually. Uh, teachers like Dallas Willard literally forging a trail forging a path for us to, to look down. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually really hopeful. I mean, we've been talking about gloom and doom all morning, all right? But we are in the early stages. We could really be in the early stages of a new reformation. The question is, how are, how are we involved? Our response, you know, what can I do? I'm not... I don't, I, don't, I don't run a kingdom. I can't change the planet. But what we can do is look at Josiah's example. Number one, number one, seeking God as a way of life with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is lifelong. This isn't something we do just to get saved and go to heaven when we die. Seeking God is a lifelong process. We can purge idolatry from our life. Be very, we need to be very conscious. of how the, the, the pressure from culture is incredible. And Christians get carried along by it all the time. Pay attention. Make sure that God is the focus and the center of your life. Another thing we can do is we don't, have a, we don't have a temple that needs cleansing. We don't have a building, but we're the temple. And this temple needs cleansing. And it needs restoration. All right? Again, seeking God. Help me with this process. This isn't something I can do on my own. So seek God. Purge idolatry. Cleanse our temple. And participate in God's renewal. There's ways that we can impact our world around us for good. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul says, God, God's prepared good stuff for you to walk into. Just seek God, pay attention, see what he's got for you. And then I, I'm going to add one more thing. Remember the messianic hope. You know, I've been really captured by this idea lately we're going to outlive this crazy planet we are we're going to outlive all this mess and see the vision 
that Zephaniah cast for us, a planet that's at peace, where good is normal. We're going to outlive this thing, and we can participate in that today. Now, if I can just be, to pull this all together, I, I, I really think we live in a very dangerous moment in history, and it remains to be seen what's going to happen to our world. All right? And we have an opportunity in front of us as Christians as a, and the larger Western church. We have an opportunity in front of us to reform the church, reform our lives, and bring back God. Okay? All right. Now, just as Josiah brought all of this and culminated in the Passover. Today we celebrate what we call the Lord's Table, all right, the Lord's Supper. Everything we've said this morning can be tied up in this iconic symbol. Just as the Passover was a time of reflection for them, so today, uh, th that's what this is for. It's the time to celebrate God's work in our life. Remember, he rescued us from bondage. And he made a covenant with us. And we belong to him. And, and, and for life to make sense, we need to seek him with all our heart. And this is like an iconic moment that, that we, we pull ourselves back together and say, this is what matters. That God has, has come to us, rescued us, made a covenant with us, and, and, and made us his children. All right? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Now, we're going to do communion a little bit different today. Um, in fact, I'd like the, the, the communion people to come up as well. We're going to make this very personal, uh, very quiet. Uh, the... the, the uh, The ministry team will be playing, and what I'd like you to do is just come up and, and get, get your communion item, and then go back to your seat. We're not going to do any of this together. This is for you and God. You might want to gather with two or three others. You can do that as well. Take some time. Um, reflect on how central, how, how, how crucial it is that we seek God with all of our heart. And then as you feel led, you feel appropriate, break the wafer, take that, take the cup, and recommit yourself to this covenant and our covenanting God. And, and then if you feel... If, Feel free to spend time at the altar if you want to do that. I know some of you are grieving uh, because of Sharon Watson. Um, God, God wants to comfort your heart. This could be a moment for that too. Lord God, help us to see a vision that's worth seeking of who you really are and what you have for us. And 
draws to yourself. In Jesus' name.